0: The scripture reading today comes from 1 John 1, through 1-4. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our own eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life, the life was made manifest and we have seen it and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard and proclaim also to you so that you you may have fellowship with us and indeed our fellowship is with the father and with his son jesus christ and we are and we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete okay um there we go last week uh, we announced that our new theme of focus for the the year for 2021 is what you see on the screen fellowship life together in light of god's love fellowship, life together in light of God's word. And you'll notice uh, in small font down there at the bottom circled is our verse. We've been focusing on really for a couple years now, which is on our church uh, mission statement on our website. First John 419, we love because he first loved us. Um, and last year, 2020, uh, we, we focused on this idea of loving God. Uh, another way of putting that is to worship God. So we focused on worship. We love God because he first loved us. And in 2021, we are going to focus on um, this idea of loving one another. Uh, The love of God generates in us a different kind of relationship with our fellow human beings, especially uh, those of us who have um, uh, committed to following Christ, disciples, fellow Christians. And so um, we want to talk in the new year about this idea of fellowship, which is another word that, that focuses on our relationship together in light of what God has done in loving us. We love one another because he first loved us. Now, um, in our text for today's sermon, which was just read, which is also the opening paragraph of the epistle of First John, we find John expressing this desire uh, that his readers have fellowship. He says that you too may have fellowship, um, and, and we're going to kind of just explore this, this paragraph um, at, at the beginning of, the, uh, of the, first, uh, the epistle of 1 John to examine different aspects of fellowship this morning, just some fundamentals about fellowship, but before we launch into this paragraph, let, let's first set out the basic meaning of this biblical word. We talked about this a little bit last week on the lawn uh, and we'll we'll revisit this over and again, I'm sure, throughout the coming year. But fellowship comes from uh, a Greek word that is often in our Bibles like 15 or 20 times in the New Testament, the word koinonia, koinonia. And the basic idea of fellowship is to share something. It's, it's the idea of partnership or joint participation, sharing, holding something or, or someone uh, in common. Um, In our, as I said last week, our English words, common, uh, communism, communitarian, commune, uh, commonality, all of those derive from the Greek word koinonia, which is translated in our Bibles uh, in various ways, but often with the English word fellowship. So that's the basic meaning, it's sharing, it's uh, participating But that raises a question, and the question is, what were these early Christians to share? John wants them to have participation, to have sharing, to have things in common, to have fellowship. But what was the object of that sharing? What was the thing that they were to share? And the New Testament answers that uh, variously. There, There are numerous things in the New Testament that express or manifest the fellowship of Christians. And we we will probably examine most of those, maybe all of those in the coming year. But we can sum them up by saying that the early Christians were expected to share life together. Uh, It it wasn't just sharing this or that or the other, it was sharing the whole of their lives together. And that's why we've made our uh, theme for this year, fellowship life together in light of God's love. <clears throat> so New Testament writers don't envision a fellowship where the only thing shared is a, uh, a weekly church service uh, or even a few tasks, you know, a few projects that, that various Christians are involved in. It's much more than that. Those are important, but fellowship for the New Testament writers is much deeper. It's much more pervasive. It encompasses all of life. So when we have fellowship, With one another, we are sharing our whole lives, all of it, the ups and the downs, the the blessings and the burdens that we all experience, the hopes and the heartaches, all of that is shared. We live life together. It's a much more radical concept than many Christians have in a very individualistic culture such as ours. But I think you see this sort of whole life sharing in just some of the things that the, the New Testament says for Christians to do with regard to one another. Let me give you two or three examples here. In Galatians 6, 2, Paul says, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. We're to bear, your burden is my burden. My burden is your burden. It, it won't do to just say, well, that's your problem. You know, uh, I'll see you at church. <laughs> uh, you know, th- th- that's my problem. Don't get in my business. Uh, but when we have a task to do, we can do that. Just don't really pry. You know, he says we're to bear one another's burdens. In Romans twelve fifteen after having said that we're to love one another with brotherly affection, he says that means that we're to rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Think about the metaphor here, brotherly affection. Our love for one another in the church is to be characterized by the love of a family. It's brotherly, right? That's a familial word. So you think about in a functional family, not a dysfunctional one, but a good solid family, the love that is there it's deep. It's visceral. It's holistic. Uh, you, you're not supposed to just cordon off aspects of your life and keep them to yourselves, really. Uh, the, the, the thoroughgoing uh, you know, love that describes a family, that characterizes a family, means that we share our joy. We share our sorrows. We rejoice together. We weep together. And he says that's how the church ought to be. And one more. In James five 16, we're told to confess our sins to one another and pray for one another. So Um, The fellowship involves a lot of vulnerability, it's an intimate kind of word and you know there's nothing more intimate than confessing your failures to somebody else that opens you up psychologically and emotionally but he's saying do just that, knowing that you will get not judgment as Stephen was talked about was talking about but you'll get prayers, you'll get love, you'll get um, uh, heartfelt uh, and sincere expressions of, of concern. Okay, so with that all in mind, the basic meaning of fellowship is sharing life together. I want to look now at the first paragraph of 1 John, the epistle of 1 John, where John the writer lays out three fundamentals of fellowship, three fundamental truths um, that we need to appreciate if we're going to have any hope of of coming close to this biblical idea of fellowship. The first of of these is this. We want fellowship. We human beings crave fellowship. It's one of our most elemental desires, one of our most fundamental desires. We have this social capacity. We have this built-in need to connect with other human beings, and that's a universal human longing. And I'm not saying that all humans appreciate this or that all humans are at a place where they can admit this certainly in certain moments. And I'm, uh, I'm certainly not saying that humanity is adept at satisfying this fundamental longing. We botch that daily, just watch the news. We, we botch it on a national and global level. Uh, we want this thing, but we're not very good at figuring out how to keep it going, how to keep social and relational unity and connection going. We're divided, we're strife torn. Um, we're bent out of shape most of the time about breaks in these things that we might biblically call fellowship sharing life with other human beings. And yet I am saying that scripture presents human beings as fundamentally relational beings. We're relational beings. Think of Adam, the first human being there in the garden of Eden. We read in chapter two after his creation, you know, it was good. It was good. And after the creation of humanity, it was very good. But as part of that is expanded with a different kind of theological lens in, in Genesis two, and that creation account, we read that it was not good that Adam, this first man, was alone. That's what the scripture says. It wasn't good that he was alone, but God made him alone. So evidently, God created Adam with this need for social connection, with this need for relationship, for not being alone uh, as part of his nature. That need, that missing puzzle piece is sort of built in to the heart of Adam It was not good that he be alone, and so God uh, created a, a mate for him. Now, I want you to notice something here from our text in 1 John. John links fellowship. He connects fellowship to having our joy made complete. You can see this in 1 John 4. Talking about fellowship, he says, and we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. The fact is God designed us to find fellowship joyful. Fellowship brings joy. It's it's something we desire. It's something that when we find it, we find pleasure in. We find satisfaction. We're just wired that way. People uh, have different means and methods and intensities uh, in, in the way that they express this desire, but we all have it. We desire it. And many of our pastimes reveal this basic craving to share our experiences with other people who might have the same interest. Think about hobby based clubs. I mean, the most arcane esoteric hobbies, if you look hard enough, you can find a club of people to share that with. I remember when I was a kid, there were ham radio clubs and I would go in there the dad's closet where he had the ham radio. And I was like, don't really get it. But he was talking to people in Germany and everywhere. So evidently, you know, I'm the one who doesn't get it. A lot of people do get that. Think of sports fans, you know uh, the Tar Heel Nation, uh, the, 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 you know, the Gator Nation, the, the Crimson Tide fan, uh, whoever it is. Think of all these people tailgating before a college football game and uh, moving into the stadium where there are you know, 70, 80,000, 100,000 people and they're all uh, functioning almost like it's a church. They're, they're uh, singing their team songs together at the top of their lungs. They're high-fiving people they've never met in their lives. They're reciting cheers collectively that they've learned over the decades. Uh, They're wearing ridiculous pig noses in in Razorback Stadium and teen colors and putting decals on their faces. Um, This is a version of uh, this inherent need to connect, to have fellowship in something. Actually, even many of the world's great evils grow out of a distorted uh, kind of twisted version of fellowship. If you think about it, what are tribalism and racism, but this impulse for group solidarity gone wrong. That's what it looks like when the impulse for fellowship gets twisted. Think about gangs, uh, gang violence. I'm reminded in this connection of of Proverbs chapter one, where the wise man is insisting that his son be careful of sort of uh, peer pressure to join in nefarious activities in the name of camaraderie. Read with me here in Proverbs 1 verse 10. The wise man says to his son, My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. If they say, Come with us. Notice all the collective pronouns here, not come with me, not you just go do this, but come with us. There's an us, we thing going on here. Let us lie in wait for blood. Let us ambush the innocent without reason. Like Sheol, let us swallow them alive and whole like those who go down to the pit. We shall find all precious goods. We shall fill our houses with plunder. And especially verse 14, throw in your lot among us. We will all have one purse. And he says, don't walk with them, son. But that appeal, you know, to to find belonging, even if it's distorted, even if it's twisted, is so compulsive in human beings we need fellowship we need to be part of a group Uh, it's not good that we be alone the fact is God designed us to find uh, fellowship fulfilling to find joy in it and we so desire it Um, when fellowship is denied us when it gets broken or threatened that's anxiety inducing it can be painful will do just about anything to compensate, to come up with some way to at least approximate this biblical idea of fellowship. It's an innate longing. Um, A couple of millennia ago, uh, the Jewish historian Josephus, writing to a Roman audience, talks about or appeals to this basic compulsion to find uh, fellowship. He says this, at these temple sacrifices, uh, prayers for the welfare of the community must take precedence over those for ourselves. He said, think about the collective. He's appealing to the, this, this desire for fellowship. And notice what he says here, for we are born for fellowship. We are born for fellowship. It's innate. Uh, we, we are born into this need to connect socially. And He who sets its claim above his private interests is especially acceptable to God. This is how God designed us. So one of the lessons here in this opening paragraph of 1 John is that when we define fellowship and prioritize fellowship in a scriptural way, in God's way, we're doing one of the most potent things we could possibly do to enhance our own joy, to find fulfillment in this life, to find satisfaction. You want that. I want that. Even when we don't know we do, that's what we need. Fellowship is pleasurable. Fellowship is satisfying. And God wants to satisfy that desire in us because he put it there. But not only is fellowship pleasurable, it's also critical. It's crucial. Fellowship is not only something we fundamentally want. It is something that we fundamentally need. Now, this may sound similar to the first point I just made, since the desire for fellowship can be so strong as to qualify as a need. The point here that I'm making, though, is is that fellowship with one another is inextricably linked to our fellowship with God, all right? The two travel together. You, You really can't have one without the other. If you want to have fellowship with God, if you want to have a relationship with God, you have to have a relationship with God's children. And that's really the assumption that is made here in the opening paragraph of 1 John. So if you look at verse 3, I want you to notice how the author shifts, uh, shifts rather seamlessly between fellowship with us, with brothers and sisters in Christ, on the one hand, and fellowship with the Father. They go together. He says this, that which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father. Without any explanation, Uh, He doesn't back out of his point and sort of, let me give you a sidebar to sort of tell you why I'm linking these two. He just toggles seamlessly between fellowship with us and fellowship with the father, because they are two sides of the same coin. We might say The, the two automatically travel together. This is also evident down in verses six and seven, where he's contrasting our need to walk in the light versus walking in darkness. The light comes from God, the darkness from someplace else, but I want you to notice how the way we walk impacts fellowship. This is what he says in 1 John 1 verse five. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him while we walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship. Now you would expect him here to say fellowship with him. That's what he's just been talking about. But all of a sudden, without any advance notice, Again, he seamlessly shifts to fellowship with one another because fellowship with him, with God, and fellowship of one another go together inextricably, as if vertical fellowship is inseparable from horizontal fellowship. Um, Without this fellowship with our brothers and sisters, our fellowship with God is in jeopardy. And I think sometimes we like to think that we can keep up a solid relationship with God Merely or at least mainly on an individual basis, you know, we, we have this idea that we can maintain vertical fellowship While letting horizontal fellowship sort of slip by the wayside And I, I, I do want to acknowledge that of course spirituality uh, Does involve our individual relationship with God as well we, we should spend some time alone with God just as Jesus did on several occasions You know, we would go off to the mountains of Caesarea Philippi and leave the disciples But it was for a season And while we can pluck out three or four occasions where Jesus did that, the other 98% of the gospels have Jesus with people, working for people, loving people, being loved by people. There There is this horizontal relationship with his disciples that is incredibly close. And Jesus doesn't try to disconnect that from his relationship with God. So those kinds of, you know, alone time with God occasions should supplement, not replace, the time we spend with brothers and sisters. So over the course of this next year, we plan to examine numerous other reasons why this horizontal fellowship is so important. For now, uh, we, we should simply note that First John doesn't even consider the possibility of a Christian keeping a close relationship with God while neglecting his relationship with the fellow children of God. We've read this many times. Chapter 4, verse 20, he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. All right? So third point, we can have fellowship. Now, what do I mean by this? We want fellowship. We need fellowship. The third point is about the possibility of genuine fellowship. This is something we actually can have. Uh, It's attainable. It's a realistic possibility. In other words, genuine deep fellowship is actually possible. This is, I think, important to stress because, you know, we may have a deep desire for fellowship, for the joy that it can bring. People who don't even know God know that. Um, But we may add to that the fact that we accept how crucial it is to our relationship with God, that the horizontal and vertical are inextricably linked. But we may simultaneously struggle with doubt, with cynicism even, about whether authentic fellowship is truly achievable. We just been hurt too many times. We've been let down too many times. There's just too much, you know, uh, too many counter instances, too much data to the contrary. It's hard to believe that real solid connection with other human beings is possible. And I want to say uh, that indeed, if it's pursued on the basis of merely human effort, or according to the logic of, you know, the conventional logic of the world around us, uh, to which Christians are Uh, hardly immune, let's be honest. Um, Well, the unity and love and brotherhood of a genuinely shared human life, those things are difficult, if not impossible, to achieve if we're doing it in the conventional way with our own effort and bootstraps and logic and all of that sort of thing. As we read the opening uh, verses of 1 John, we're going to see something, though. We're going to see that in Christ, This longed-for, deep craving uh, for the reality of authentic fellowship is truly possible. So let's look at the first few verses of 1 John, this opening paragraph. And I want you to look for something as we read them this time through. I want you to notice how the language here is language that harks back to the language of uh, the first chapter of John's gospel, Okay, there's a lot of similarities between 1 John's opening words and the gospel of John's opening words. And the gospel of John, in turn, had evoked the language of creation, the language of Genesis 1. In the beginning begins the gospel of John. That's exactly, same exact phrase in Greek as Genesis 1.1, in the beginning. Whereas Genesis 1 talked about in the beginning, God created the world. John one says in the beginning was this word, this logos identified later in the chapter as Christ, who was there bringing about creation as well. Um, Part of that he is, he is, he is God. So um, in Genesis one, we have divine speech, you know, and God said, let there be light. And God said, let there be this. And God said, let that by the other. So divine speech is the key agent that had, that had brought forth life and light into this emptiness and chaos of a world that was formless and void, as Genesis 1 puts it. Well, in Jesus, that eternal word, speech, logos, is embodied, John 1 says, in the beginning was the word, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And when he enters the world, he brings new creation, new possibilities. Things become possible that could never be possible before. Life, light, replace darkness and disorder and chaos. So we're going to read this, and I want you to hear the echoes of John 1 and Genesis 1 in 1 John 1. All right? That which was from the beginning, 1 John 1 that which was from the beginning, in the beginning, John 1 had said, in the beginning, Genesis 1 had said, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life, the logos of life, the life was made manifest, and we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. It sounds so much like John 1, and in many ways, um, evokes the, the, the language and the, uh, the themes of, of Genesis 1 as well. So <clears throat> 1 John presents fellowship as something coming from another realm, coming from elsewhere, not from within this tired old world with its uh, worn-out logic and pipe dream solutions. It comes from the realm of the eternal, from the, the realm of the word, the logos, God's realm. And yet all of this, miraculously, did become manifest in Jesus Christ. He says, um, the life was made manifest. The life which was with the Father was made manifest to us. He says, we, we could see him and hear him and touch him. We were with him. This eternal logos that was before the beginning became flesh. He was manifest as a human being and walked among us. So all kinds of things become possible. And I want to say in connection with fellowship that, that here, right here then, is the ultimate key to our fellowship with one another. And we need to think about this throughout the year. What is the ultimate key to our fellowship with one another? It is our fellowship with Jesus Christ. The true basis for any fellowship that we will ever have with one another must always be Christ and Christ alone. We should try to do all the kinds of things we can to make fellowship more possible and more thoroughgoing. We should try to effect it as best we can. God calls us to do things. On the other hand, it's never going to be our programs or our plans or our efforts that ultimately maximize our fellowship with one another horizontally until each of us individually is seeking fellowship with Christ above all things. He is the ultimate basis for our fellowship. I want to close here with an illustration about the importance of Jesus fellowship with Jesus to bring about fellowship with one another. I've used this illustration before. I want you to picture the church as a wheel. All right. And think of Jesus Christ as the hub of that wheel. Okay. And so all the spokes are connected to Jesus. All right. He's the wheel. He's the hub of the wheel. And each of us are out on the perimeter uh, of that wheel. We are distant uh, from one another, you know, maybe to maybe due to our our diversity, the fact that we're so different from each other. It could be from any number of things. We're we're different in cultural background. We've had different life experiences, different. We're damaged in different ways. We've had, uh, you know, we've been hurt by others in different ways. Some of us haven't been hurt as much. Some of us more. Um, We've got differences in temperament. So this little smiley face, you know, we've got, we've got people in our church that are upbeat and cup half full. And then we've got people who are sort of Eeyore. You know, they're kind of ah, probably not, you know, cup half empty, uh, more likely to point out potential pitfalls or something. Uh, those are diverse people. They're pretty far apart, potentially. We've got cool people. We've got nerds. We've got uh, cautious, careful people. And then we've got people who are just like, they're in no matter what. Let's, let's hop in and we'll think later, right? And you could put a whole bunch more uh, little emojis on here to represent our diversity. But I want you to notice the distance between all of those, those individuals. They're pretty far apart. But notice also what happens when each of these individuals begin to move in toward Jesus the distance between them and Jesus shrinks, but so does the distance between them and one another. We get the closest when each of us gets closest to Jesus because vertical fellowship with God through Christ and horizontal fellowship are inextricably connected. We will ignore that or de-emphasize that fundamental biblical truth to our own harm and to the harm of those around us. What we share in Jesus, when we come to the cross, the consciousness of being a sinner above all else, above all else, the uh, experience of forgiveness, the beauty of God's grace, the fact that God did first love us, all of that begins to become larger in our hearts and our minds and our consciousness. and And it ultimately begins to eclipse all these other differences which might otherwise divide us. 1 John 1, 3 says, that which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. All right. I appreciate um, your attention. And that is pretty much what I've got. Good to be with you all today.